0: Uh, I'm thankful to be back. In fact, that's how I would like to start off my sermon this morning, just by saying thank you. Thank you to every one of you who allowed me to take a few months off to go on a sabbatical. Thank you to everyone who has uh, had to give a little bit extra, do a little bit more, and uh, Maybe, uh, I'm sure the preaching was great, but maybe endure some some weeks where things seemed uncertain and and they didn't uh, go the the way that they were supposed to. No one reported that back to me, but I've been here long enough to know we have those weeks anyway, even when I'm here. So thank you for being here. Thank you for uh, supporting me while I went on sabbatical. I want you to know it was a really impactful time for me. It was uh, extremely beneficial. I... um, I'm deeply grateful, and I I think from here on my ministry will be shaped and impacted by the time that I had away. So uh, I really uh, I'm I'm deeply indebted to you for that. Um, I'll give you a further update on my sabbatical soon enough, but I'll tell you for now, you know what I did mostly was just uh, slow down. Uh, I read a lot. I I prayed a lot. Uh, I decided to focus on my my spiritual and my physical and my emotional health and uh, it was great I, I, I met with the Lord and it wasn't until the last few weeks of my time that I actually started thinking about our church and, and praying about our future and what might God, ha- God might have for our congregation here and, and I've got some ideas about that I've got some thoughts that I'll again I'll share with you at another time um, I think some exciting things that, that you might want to hear but the truth is the main thing I have come back with uh, is a burden I've come back with a burden for the church and not only our congregation, I have a burden for the church at large um, because I have come to see through my own experience that there is a uh, profound disconnect uh, between all the things that we know about Jesus, all the disciplines that we've been taught all the ways that we have learned uh, to, how to know more about Jesus, how to, to draw close to him, uh, there's a disconnect between that and how Christ's presence is manifest in our lives. Between all the things we know about Jesus and what we actually experience of Jesus. And what I mean by that is, I know so many people that are in the church are around the church are deeply involved with the church and yet they're increasingly disillusioned increasingly skeptical worn out their souls feel dry and empty I know so many people who who believe in Jesus and yet every day they're filled with anxiety and fear and anger. They're walking around constantly on the verge of a meltdown, and they just don't know what to do. They don't know how to encounter Jesus in a way that can actually reach those deep places in their lives. The church is filled with people whose spiritual and emotional lives aren't healthy. And as a result of that, our relationships with one another aren't healthy. And our churches can't be healthy if our relationships aren't healthy. But thankfully, God doesn't want us to be there. And he has, in fact, promised that he's not going to leave us there, but that he's going to dwell with us, amongst us, in us, and he's going to transform us. He's going to transform our lives. And he's going to transform our community. And so for the next few weeks, that's what I want to talk about. I want us to talk about the path to spiritual and emotional health in the church. And so it's going to be a little bit different the next few weeks than what we usually do. What we typically have done is picked a book of the Bible and preached straight through it. And we'll get back to that soon enough. But for the next few weeks what I want to do is just look at a few snapshots in Scripture that I believe show us a picture of how much Jesus wants to transform your life. I want us to look at these pictures and see exactly what that road to health looks like. So let's start off. I want to invite you to pick up your Bible and read along with me. We're going to go to Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 22. Um, whoever finds that first, yell out what page it is. Mark chapter 10, and you get, you get a star on your chart. Good. 494, Bruce, winner. Um, mark, that in the, mark that in the books. All right. Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 22. And G, it's about Jesus. As Jesus was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher... You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. So there's three things I want us to see in this text this morning. uh, And that is that knowing God requires knowing ourselves. Second thing is that knowing ourselves is a painful journey. And thirdly, God redeems our pain. Knowing God requires knowing ourselves. This is a true statement. You cannot change that of which you are unaware. You cannot change that of which you are unaware. If you have that piece of spinach in the front of your teeth, You're not going to know to get rid of it unless somebody else points it out to you. That is the essence of this passage we just read. This is a story of a man who is becoming aware of himself. See, this guy, he thought he was doing pretty well. He was a God-fearing man. He was a law-following man. And that means he was a a Sabbath-keeping man. He was a daily-praying, scripture-meditating, kosher-eating, generous, caring man. And on top of that, God had blessed his life. God had blessed him with wealth, with success, with a good reputation. The world saw this man as a winner. And he probably agreed. Humbly, of course. But he probably agreed. But all it took was one interaction with the living Son of God. All it took was one line from Jesus to shatter that illusion. To Break this man's world apart and show him just how unhealthy his heart was. In one moment, this guy goes from the pinnacle, the mountaintop, to the pit of despair. Can you relate to that? Have you ever been there? I think we can all relate to this guy a little bit. I think we read this story and we put ourselves in that position. We see where we fit in. I know I certainly do. Uh, in many ways, as I've thought about this passage the last few weeks, this I realize this is my story. Um, I don't know how often I've talked about my life up here. I tell about little anecdotes or whatever, but I, I came to faith at a pretty young age. I went. Uh, my family enrolled me at a, a Christian school. We didn't go to church at that time, but I heard about the gospel, and I believed, and, and from that moment when I was 12 years old, I have known the Lord. And I remember, even as a, a child, going up and, and reading my Bible and praying and, and trusting Him and, 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 and loving Him, by the time I was 16 years old, I was leading a youth group. And not, not like the normal way, if you grew up in church where you might like be a leader in your youth group, but we... I led a youth group. Like We started our, a group of people outside of the church. And, and it was probably about three times the size of this church. <laughs> I, I, I was doing that at 16 years old. Uh, by the, my early 20s, I was a missionary in China. I went to seminary, met a godly woman. We got married. We moved into the city. And we have been planting churches now for, for 12 years. And all along the way, While I was doing those things, I was seeking God's will for my life. I was following him. I was uh, seeking to humble myself and be grateful for the gifts that he gave me. And I didn't think I was perfect. You know, I didn't ever think I was sinless. I I knew I had plenty of sin. I I repented of my sin regularly. But I can say, looking back, that that all along the way, I had no idea how far away I was From the abundant life that God has for his people and then about two years ago God put me on a journey that ended up opening my eyes to some of these things opening my eyes to see what was really going on in my heart to show me who I really was and that journey has been confusing at times it's been painful at times, but most of all, I can tell you, it's been glorious. And I'm I'm deeply grateful for it. And you, you are probably in the church this morning because you want to know God. Maybe it's because you already know him, but you want to know him more. Some of you might be just like me. Maybe you have read the Bible more times than you can remember, and you try to pray. Uh, You count a relationship with Jesus as something that's important to you, central to your life even, and maybe some of you are newer. Maybe some of you are just exploring the faith. I don't know where you're coming from, but regardless of, of where you sit this morning, the message I want you to hear is the same. You cannot know God unless you know yourself. You cannot really, truly, deeply know God unless you know yourself. And in case you're getting scared that I've gone off and come back with some like postmodern craziness, you know, some health, self-help jargon, I want you to know that this is not a new idea that I'm throwing out at you. This is an idea that is as old as the church. I've got some quotes up here that, to share with you. Uh, Thomas Kempis, who was a medieval thinker, he said, a humble self-knowledge is a surer way to God than a search after deep learning. John Calvin, the great reformer, one of my heroes, starts off the Institutes by saying, nearly the whole of sacred doctrine consists in two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. And Augustine of Hippo famously prayed this prayer that began, Lord, let me know myself. Let me know you. This idea, some people call it double knowledge. Knowing the Lord and knowing ourselves. It's two sides of the same coin. And all of Christian growth comes out of it. You can't know God unless you know yourself. But I've been burdened because I realize as much as we talk about knowing God in the church... As much as we try to give people tools for that, we do very little to equip Christians in how to know themselves. I can probably count on one hand the times I've heard it talked about in the church. But it really is the essence of the gospel. You cannot know Christ unless you know him as Savior, right? Unless you know Christ as your Savior, you're not going to know him. But unless you know yourself... Unless you have seen the depths of who you are, how gross the stuff is down there. Unless you have seen your weakness and and your sin, unless you've been able to face the worst parts of yourself and receive God's love there, you can't really know what it means that he's your Savior. Think about Paul's statement, 1 Timothy This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ came for sinners, of whom I am the foremost. If that's not the perfect example of what I'm talking about, this double knowledge, I don't know what is. This is a man who knows God and who knows himself. There is something unflinchingly honest in Paul writing that to the church. This man knows God. And his knowledge of God is powerful because he knows himself, because he knows his own heart. But knowing ourselves is a painful journey. That's the second thing we find out in this passage. There is an innate pain that comes when we take this journey with Jesus. Look back with me at verse 21. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And he said to him, you lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. This man was devastated by Christ's words here. The Greek talks about him being shocked and, and grieved. That and he left that place in, in mourning. Eugene Peterson, his paraphrase, the message, put it this way. This was the last thing he expected to hear, and he walked away with a heavy heart He was holding on tight to a lot of things and not about to let go. Jesus ruined this guy. But why? Why would he do it? Obviously, he had good intentions. He was a committed believer, right? He had good questions. I I mean, my goodness, his question was, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? He wanted to be with God forever. So why does Jesus treat him this way? Well, you know. We just read it. Mark told us. It says that Jesus looked at him and what? You can speak. Don't worry. He looked at him and what? Loved him. He loved him. And Jesus loves you too. He loves you too much to leave you blind to yourself. He loves you too much to let you keep living your life thinking that you're all right. Jesus loves you enough to set you free. But it's going to hurt. There's no way to get around it. You see, the pages of Scripture are filled with men and women who God loved enough to hurt them with his love. King David, on the throne, had to have his sin publicly called out by a prophet, you are the man. Remember that? Jonah had to be stranded in the wilderness under the heat of the sun on the verge of death before he could see the bitterness and the racism that defined his heart. Martha, in her moment of need, when she came to Jesus for help, had to hear, no, the way you're living your life is wrong. It's your sister Mary who's chosen the excellent way. And Peter, Jesus' closest friend, His nearest disciple had to hear that his heart was weak, that he was a coward, that he was disloyal, and that his motivations were coming from the devil himself. And Jesus, he has a message like that for you too. He certainly has one for me. I mentioned a couple of years ago God set me on a journey and I'm still in the midst of that journey. Don't misunderstand me. I haven't come back from the mountaintop fully sanctified and uh, I'm still very much in process. But I will say this to you. I'm not the man I was. God's changed me. I'm different. I have been in this place I know what it's like. Just, just like this man who whose life looked so good on the outside, but was exposed as being painfully deficient. His trust, he found out, was not truly in the Lord, like he thought. He might have looked like a godly man. He might have thought he was a godly man, but on the inside, what he really trusted in was his wealth. What he really trusted in was his standing in society was his performance of the law all that good stuff that the people saw about him all the things that they observed that stuff was just a show it was a show that he was putting on for the world to see and it was working it was a show that he was putting on for god It was a show that he was even putting on for himself. It was a show that fooled everyone, but not Jesus. Jesus saw right through it. He saw right through it, even when this guy could not. And I really do believe that. I think that this man had no clue when he came to see Jesus what was really going on. I think he had no idea the truth about himself until these words were spoken. I said a second ago, you can't know God unless you know yourself, but the reverse is also true. You cannot know yourself apart from God. You cannot know yourself apart from God. It takes his Holy Spirit... It takes His divine power to be able to expose those dark and painful and embarrassing and shameful parts of your heart and then actually begin to redeem them. Now for me, that journey began when a series of close relationships I had turned sour. Some people who I had really loved and cared for cut off relationship with me, and in some cases, began to, to talk uh, and, and in a way that I just couldn't control. And it made me feel very helpless. It was a, no fun. It was a bad situation. I, maybe some of you have been in places like that before, and I, I feel for you. Uh, I wouldn't wish that on anybody, but I'll say that's not the thing that actually did it for me. That wasn't the moment that pushed me over the edge. What got me was the wave of despair that came over my life afterwards. As I tried to process the, the loss of these relationships, what God started to show me was that there was something wrong in my heart. That he had given me this gift of pain to expose something much deeper. He started to show me some of the motivations that I had been living with for years. That I, one, I desperately needed the approval of other people. And that I was kind of living out of that. Uh, That ever since my childhood, when I was just an unpopular kid, I had made a vow to myself that from now on, I was going to be liked. And I was going to be included. And I would never behave in a way that caused someone else to turn their back on me. And so, I had started to live in a way where I did everything I possibly could to avoid conflict, to try and make other people happy. I found out that I was being completely controlled and enslaved by the desire to receive love and value, not from God, but from the other people in my life. And in an effort to get that, just like this man, I put on a show. I put on a show. I, I put on a, a false person. I crushed my own feelings, my own desires, my own dreams and hopes, because I feared that if I expressed those things, I might risk some of those relationships that I was using to keep me going. And when God let me see that, when he gave me a glimpse into that manner of my life, I thought it was going to kill me. It was painful. It hurt to see that about myself. It sent me to the pit of despair. I really do. I know this man's grief when he left Jesus' presence. But I also know that that grief was a gift to me. And that's why, like a lot of commentators, I have a lot of hope for the man in this story. I have a lot of hope for him because it says that when Jesus looked at him, he loved him. I don't think Jesus was finished with this guy. And that's what I want to see for each of you. I want each one of us here in this room, each one of you, I want you to trust Jesus enough to let him hurt you (laughs) to let him deal the faithful wound that will save your soul to expose that false self that you're putting on for the world and to peel her away peel him away So that he can recreate you into the person he made you to be. Knowing ourselves is painful. But it's the only way we're ever going to truly know God. Thankfully, God redeems our pain. That's the last point. Jesus redeems our pain. I know this isn't like the best altar call, right? (laughs) Come, surrender to a world of hurt and pain. Uh, It's probably not the thing you're most excited about. Maybe some of you are already praying that prayer, Lord, yes, but not today. (laughs) You need to know the real hurt, the real pain, is the way you're living now. The real pain is the dry Dead relationships you have with Jesus and the people who love you the most. The real pain is those defense mechanisms that you have developed to keep your heart out of the reach of God and out of the reach of the people who care about you. Jesus invites us into pain, but whenever Jesus invites us down a road that looks like death it will surely lead to life. See, that's the promise of the cross. On the other side of death is resurrection. Scripture tells us that that Christ, He didn't only come to atone for our sin, but also to redeem our suffering. Because of the cross, that means that there is nothing that we have done. There is no way that we have lived. There is nothing in our past that Jesus does not intend to redeem for his glory. There is no part of your story that God's going to waste. But you have to trust him. You have to trust him enough to take the first step on the journey. How do you do that? Maybe that is a question you're asking. How do you get started? Well, that's what I want to unpack over the next few weeks. I want to talk about some ways that we might begin doing that. But for now, let me just say this. The first thing that you need to do is allow Jesus the space to speak to you. You need to allow Jesus the space to speak to you in love. You need to follow the footsteps of this man and go to the good teacher and put yourself in front of him and, and ask him the question. That might look like sitting silently in prayer and asking yourself some things like, who do I want the world to believe that I am. Why? Maybe you say to the people in your life, how do others experience me? Do they see someone who is humble? Obedient? Joyful? Do they receive love from me? Or do they see anger and defensiveness? Do they see shortness? Do they see someone who's distracted? Sit in the Lord's presence and ask, what do I feel inside of me? Am I full of peace and faith? Or anxiety and fear? Or maybe you don't feel anything. Are you numb? Have you blocked off that part of yourself? Where is that all coming from? What's going on down there? We need to be able to go to the living Son of God and say, What must I do to inherit this abundant and eternal life that you have promised to your children? And then, when you ask Him that, you need to brace yourself. You need to get ready for what He's going to say to you, whatever it might be. But Jesus wants to redeem your pain. He wants to take you deeper with Him. Whether this is your first time in the church or you have been here uh, week after week, I want to assure you that your Savior wants to recreate you in His own image. He wants to, real relationship with you. He wants you to experience Him in your life. And so I want to close this morning with another prayer from Augustine. And what I'm going to do is first ask that whatever happens, we don't let the children back in right now. (laughs) If they're they're like banging at the gates. Uh, I think we need a a couple of moments of silence here. I want to invite you to hear this prayer from Augustine. Uh, it is his invitation for God to speak truth in his own life. I'm going to read it, and then we're just going to spend a couple of minutes, and I'm going to ask you to, to spend that time placing yourself before the Lord, asking him to search your own heart, and then we'll continue on. With communion, So uh, I'll read this to you and, and you listen. And Jennifer's going to play some music as we take a couple of moments uh, to silently pray. My soul is like a house, small for you to enter. But I pray you enlarge it. It is in ruins, but I ask you to remake it. It contains much that you will not be pleased to see. This I know, and I do not hide. But who is to rid it of these things? There's no one but you. Let's pray. Need your spirit to show us ourselves. And Lord, I pray that You would answer the cries of these people. Lord, we, I pray that You would grant us what Augustine prayed for. Lord, let us know ourselves. And let us know You. Father, I pray that this season in the life of our church would be a season of rebirth, would be a season of health and life, whatever it may bring, Lord, I pray that none of us would leave here unchanged. Father, we pray this in Christ's name.